Here we go again with another episode of Nautical Knowledge and Nonsense. In this episode, I got to interview tugboat operator Megan Emerson. It's a very pleasant, informative interview and a must-listen for boaters who sail in waters with tugboats. Megan and I discuss her Alaskan background, what got her into tugboats, and some of the near-misses and not-so-near-misses that occur when pushing tens of thousands of tons of barges. We get into what everyday life and work is like on continually operating Columbia River tugs and even touch on some environmental issues towards the end. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did recording it. Well, thank you so, thank you so much for doing this interview. Um, I really appreciate it. First of all, what uh, what is it that you do, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. I am a deckhand and recently pilot on tugboats on the Columbia and, and Snake Rivers between um, Washington and Oregon. You, you said you're a tugboat and, and a pilot? Uh, so not river pilot or not um, not pilot in the sense of like a bar pilot or something like that. Um, we refer to our junior captains as pilots. Okay. Um, so junior captain is an easy way to think about it. All right, cool. Well, that's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, and we have a common friend uh, in Mark Gallipo. We do. Yeah, he. Uh, uh, so he told me about you, and, and we were kind of talking about it a, a little bit last, or the other night, but uh, or you and I, I mean, were talking about it. But uh, yeah, he's the one. He got me into contra dancing, and, which is where you met him, I believe. And I got him into tall ships, so it worked out really well. <laughs> I love how much of a crossover there is between folk dancing and tall ship sailing. It seems like there's some some good crossover between the uh, the community aspect and the the teamwork and the lots of um, lots of sort of uh, extreme emotions, um, not emotions, but motions and lack of motion sickness. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a natural progression from one to the other. Interesting. Yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah. Or or simply the fact that if if you do like, I mean, if you do like being seasick, I guess spinning around in a circle a hundred times is a great way to like, oh, I miss the sea. This is so, like, I can't walk straight. Just have someone dump a water bottle over your head occasionally. It'll be just the same. There you go. Well, there, I don't, well, uh, tugboat wise, have you ever gotten any tugboat guys to become contra dancers? Um, oh gosh, what a good question. I think I've managed to drag one to one dance. I did not hate them, so there's hope. So one to one dance one time. Yes. Wow. That's, that's more than I thought I would get, but barriers being broken. That's amazing. Hope's very eternal. Well, all right. Well, who knows? Maybe maybe uh, ten years from now there'll be a, a major cultural crossover there. <laughs> I kinda doubt it, but Okay, so so what is the what's the tugboat community like for you? What's what's been your impression? What what got you into that? My goodness, that's a good question to start. That's a that's a big question. Um, let's see. The the, the cocktail hour answer is I was raised uh, by commercial fishermen in Alaska, and then um, came down to Portland through a series of adventures with friends, and um, was working a white collar job at the time realized that that was pretty dead end, wasn't really going to pay me much, and uh, honestly, I just looked out at the Willamette River, and I saw a tugboat going by, and I thought, how do I get on board that boat? 
I, that, that seems like a good thing. How do I do it? And I knew absolutely no one. I had no connections to the tugboat world or even the, the sort of commercial maritime world besides commercial fishing, which is a very different sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I spent almost a year trying to break into the industry, applying everywhere, talking to unions, really couldn't get any traction. And, uh, was at the at the stage of like signing the paperwork for the uh, Workboat Academy in Seattle. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I'm not. No. Okay. Very interesting sort of maritime academy model, which um, they they had an accelerated program where you would be signed up with a company to work half time as a basically an unpaid intern or a, a low paid intern aboard the boats. It was like a pre apprenticeship. And then on your time off the boats, you would go to classes and it would give you, I believe, an A, B at the end of a couple of years. It was a pretty quick program with work experience thrown into it. So I was just about ready to start with that when I finally got a call back from Tidewater Barge Lines, my current employer, uh-huh. and uh, have been with them ever since 2013. Wow. So and what kind of A, B did you get through the school? Uh, I did not actually end up going to the school. I was on the brink of, of signing the paperwork to apply and had gone to speak with them and was pretty much assured that I could get into the next class coming through. But uh, as soon as Tidewater called me back, I said, well, to heck with that. This is a this is a fully paid apprenticeship. So <laughs> it's a better deal. Well, that's awesome. That's great. Wow. So you grew up in Alaska? Like that's where you grew up or that's just where you started working? Uh, that's where I grew up. Oh my goodness. So you, you're tough as nails. That's amazing. <laughs> Well, no, 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 I came down here because I was not tough enough for Alaska. So <laughs> the, the, soft, the soft lands of the south. All right. Well, I guess I guess compared to most Portlandites, you're 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 tough as nails. It's it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know we had a we had a sail I had a sailor friend who a tall ship sailor friend who was Alaskan, uh, and she oh man like to see her use a sledgehammer I was just like <laughs> I was envious. I'm like how do I <laughs> like dang. And she had, she actually, uh, she had a, a great, I mean, not a great story. She had a, a, a crazy story where she, she actually almost uh, beat a guy to death. Um, oh, one of those, a sledgehammer. not with a sledgehammer, no, with it, with a telephone, I believe, or a lamp. I can't remember which. Um, yeah, it was, it was at a party and this fellow had crossed several lines. I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, who knows? Maybe someday I'll get to have her tell the story, but um, clearly this, this guy was, he, he was, she was in danger and it was flight or fight and she fought and, and actually had to be pulled off the guy. And I think he went to the hospital. So, uh, yeah, typical Alaska night, you know, <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty standard, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I've never been, that's one of the States I've, I've never been to, but after talking with people like you and it, it's definitely, yeah, I, I, it, my curiosity bug has been. I don't even know how, I'm not very good with analogies or, or expressions, but it's not how my brain works, but that curiosity has definitely been uh, created. Wonderful. Yeah. Highly recommend it still, even though I've, I've traveled a bit, uh, it's still the prettiest place I've ever been, even though I'm, I'm admittedly biased, but I think it's lovely. So wow. highly so, recommend, maybe not in the winter, but. Yeah. So where have your travels taken you? Um, oh gosh. See, that's the, that's the thing about being a, a mariner who goes up and down the same river every day. It's, uh, <laughs> we don't, we don't get to the, to the exotic locale that you tall ship sailors do. <laughs> um, I did with some friends just after college, unwisely purchase a sailboat sight unseen in San Diego. And all three of us Alaskans went down to San Diego to refurbish the sailboat, which 
took a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. And then we sailed it up the coast of California uh, a ways. But then we had to go back fishing to pay for our sailboat habit. Um, and so <laughs> that was the <laughs> end of our grand sailboat adventure. <laughs> Um, did, so, okay. So you see so did sailing down there. Now you said you traveled down the coast with friends to get to Portland. Uh, were you guys camping on the way or you just did a straight drive? Like, like how'd that work? No, that was, that was sort of a, a long and, and winding path. Um, basically friends from college went to college in, in Fairbanks, Alaska, and then followed friends down here. Um, just in the sort of way that the people start to migrate, you know, one, one comes and then the others come to visit and stay. And, and that was the sort of exodus of us from from the north down to the south. Um, so some friends and I uh, landed here in Portland and um, ended up buying a house together as a group because house prices being what they are, mm-hmm. rather hard to buy a house by oneself. So <laughs> kept uh, kept expenses low and uh, made a little enclave of Alaskans. All right. Cool. Well, so so you tra- you traveled a bit. You went down to Portland. You've been doing tugboats. What was your first impression of tugboats? Like, was it I don't know. What was it like? Oh gosh. Um, were you just like, is is this the dumbest thing I've ever like? Did you have any hesitancy initially, or were you like, this is awesome, or or was it something in between? It was definitely more on the this is awesome side. So as a mariner, <laughs> as a mariner, I think you'll appreciate this. Um, the 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 overwhelming impression I had was, wow, this is so well organized and official, and there's there's job descriptions and there's working hours that are set and, and, and then you work those hours and not any other hours. <laughs> so a little, little different from fishing, huh? <laughs> it was, it was very different than the 34 foot family fishing boat, you know? <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I could only imagine. Well, so that's neat. Now did you, and, and so they just basically, you, it was all on the job training pretty much. I mean, cause you had no tugboat experience prior to this, right? Correct. My wow. yeah, the the work experience I walked onto the job with was fishing and um, some equipment operating um, and manual labor, honestly, and a college degree. Um, but that was that was pretty much it. I uh, so I did. They have a a year long, approximately a year long paid apprenticeship, and then once you finish that, you're a fully fledged deckhand, and you can cruise along like that for as long as you like. There are people who retire as deckhands. Um, and then they, but they do also have an internal training program for operators, which I finished up last year mm-hmm. after two, two years of uh, hands-on training in the wheelhouse and okay. some licensing. Oh, terrific. All right. Well, congratulations on that. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Very exciting. Uh, do you, How far up the river do you guys go? How far up the Columbia? Yeah, so we go up to Pasco, Washington on the Columbia. Yep. We do well, very occasionally up to Hanford um, to do a little bit of special work for them, but mostly um, Pasco, and then we go up the Snake as far as Lewiston, Idaho. Neat. And here's here's a, a typical guy question, so I apologize already. This is, like, so stereotypical, <laughs> but I'm, I'm what's, what's the heaviest thing you've ever pulled? <laughs> <laughs> What's, what's the heaviest load you've had to haul or, or tow or put on the hip <laughs> or push or push? Uh, so we are all push boats. Okay. Um, we very occasionally do other things, but for the very, very majority of our work is push. Um, are you, do you, so do, you I, do composite uh, or, or is it you, you like, like what, what kind of tugs are they exactly? 
Um, good question. They are um, j just straight up push boats. They've got the okay. you know the, the square front with the knees. Um, you face up to the barge with um, like three sets of wires that go from the boat to the barge. Yep. Uh, electric winches, um, barges. So we usually we usually move uh, barges in blocks of four. Each barge is about forty by two seventy five feet, and wow. uh, so a block of four is six fifty by eighty five or so. That's and, incredible. <laughs> and so yeah, so full four fully loaded wheat barges. We move a lot of grain, um, so that ends up being oh gosh, what thirteen thousand tons? That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. I was talking with, um, with, uh, the, I, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to my previous episodes, but I interviewed the Coast Guard pilot, uh, Michael Tully, um, uh -huh. he, in, in episode two. And I think, I think it was with him. We were talking about like, yeah, how the, the U S feeds the world, but it's because of these, these rivers and, and, you know, the fact that we can access Eastern Washington and, and Oregon is, uh, it's, it's incredible, you know, by boat. I mean, it's just so much cheaper. It is. It is. It's amazing to, to be, on a large vessel that far inland and realize that your entire livelihood and, and life is held in the hands of the army corps of engineers and their, <laughs> their dams, you know, and their locks. So. Oh man. I'll have to interview those guys next. That'll be it. Oh, gosh. Yes. I recommend it. They're a, they're a kick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, so are tugboat drivers. Cause, cause my impression with tugboat drivers, I mean like globally, they're, they're all kind of the same. They're all kind of like, just like, oh, I don't really care. Not, not that I don't care, but it was this attitude. And maybe it's different. Maybe I've, maybe it sounds like you guys have a very professional thing going on. Like I remember being in England and this, this tugboat guy with an English accent, which I'm not going to attempt right now, but it just sounded like, like take away the English accent. And it, it just reminded me of like the, the tugboat drivers were like, oh yeah, you know, I'll give you a, you know, cause we, we basically hitchhiked on this tugboat in England. Uh -huh. And uh, it's kind of a long story, but uh, <laughs> to make it short, we hitchhike on a tugboat, me and the, a bunch of other Americans. And uh, and the guy's like, oh, I'll drop you off at this dock. And I've never been there before. I, I better not hit it too hard or I'll, you know, it'll cost a million dollars and it'll take out my paycheck. But it was the most like casual, like, eh, what, you know, like, <laughs> that kind of thing. And, and uh, it just seemed very tugboat-ish, like, uh, you know, say la vie, like, well, what are you going to do? But but maybe maybe that was just that impression, but... No, I think that that, that very much uh, describes, especially the old timers. They, there's a certain sort of, yeah, say, say love is the polite way to say it, a sort of <laughs> attitude of, um, well, you're, you're, you're in a, a giant boat that can go in any direction, at, you know, at the drop of a hat. And it's encased in rubber. So really, <laughs> what's going to happen to you? You know, it's really that you're just going to like gently crash through an entire dock and be like, whoops, well, <laughs> have to put those pilings back in, I guess. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a, I never thought of it that way, but yeah, it's true. That is true. Uh, obviously we are very professional and don't crash into docks, but <laughs> yeah, I, I would hope, I would hope so. Well, it's yeah, funny because yeah. I, I know just traveling, you know, up and down rivers and traveling uh, and maybe not rivers. I, I do a lot of, you know, I've done a lot of bay sailing and obviously coastal sailing and, but the tugboat guy, like they're hard, they're hard to contact on channel 13. Uh, you know, a lot of other vessels, they're like instantly they'll pick up and the tugboats is usually like, well, all right, I hope they heard me. I'm going to stay out of the way. And then I, my, my impression in my imagination, so you may confirm or deny this, but my impression in my imagination was they just don't want to have to log the thing in their radio log. 
<laughs> you know, like God, a, yet another darn boat that I've got to log this. Like, but is that wrong? Am I am I out of line? <laughs> Here I am, way out of the channel. I don't know why they're calling me. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's it. Okay, I, I figured I figured that. But <laughs> no, no um, we don't we don't keep radio logs, so it's okay. an inland thing, you know. So <laughs> we have we have a far different road, but there there is a little bit of that sort of like long suffering like we do this every this is our daily commute yeah and there's always you know these casuals out here trying to call us on the radio and we're just you know in the place in the river we always are <laughs> so yeah, yeah there's yeah. a little bit of complacency that happens uh, inevitably <laughs> when you you have your you know your commute down and you you know where you're going and you're sure not it will stop it quick so that somebody else better get out of your way <laughs> yeah no there's there's a lot of truth to that well, and I've wondered too where, where tall ships would fall in because I, I can imagine some people looking at them like, oh, those are just big yacht yacht boats, and other people could be like, oh, those are just silly reenactors, and and the reality of it is is different. <sighs> but unless you've been on one and sailed on one, you you probably wouldn't know. Right. Yeah. And for us, it's interesting the the rules of the road get a little mm, a little complex when there's it's all shallow water, right? Um, yeah. So. It looks like you've got the whole river to drive in, but really you've got this very, very narrow little channel that's been dredged out at great, great expense and length from a from a giant mud hole. And you know the, the sailboat's like, oh hey, we're on this tack. We can't. Yeah, it's very complicated for us to change our tack. And we're like, cool, we hear that. However, we can't actually swerve around you, so <laughs> someone's gonna have to do something. <laughs> Um, and I'm sure for the tall ships as well, you know, they, they draft probably as much or more than we do. Um, so when they come up the river, which is the only time we see them, it's very much like, Hey, we don't want to, we don't want to make you guys have a bad day and vice versa. So there's a lot of, a lot of announcing on the radio and a lot of usually just, you know, straight up, you know, hailing folks. If you're, if you're, if you're at all concerned and saying, Hey, here's where we're going to be, you know, you can be over there. It's all good. Yeah, well, I, I never got to do the Columbia River tour. Uh, the Grace Harbor boats would, would head up there, Lady Washington and Hawaiian Chieftain. But I, I never got to do that tour. Unfortunately, it sounded neat. Though, though they did describe it as being very hot and dry most of the time. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, part of part of this podcast is you know just letting common you know normal mariners like not mariners well they are mariners but letting normal folks know who have boats you know yachtsmen and power boaters and all that like uh, you know part of it is yeah just be aware these big boats cannot maneuver. They are constrained by their draft. They are restricted. Like, like everything, everything about it is you stay away. Your sail, the, the rules of the road do not apply to your sail. Your, your, your sailboat status is null and void at that point, period. <laughs> right. Because and, the only thing that, that uh, sort of comes in above that is the vessel constrained by her draft. Um, yeah. and, and the way I think about it is that the, this, the most frightening part of my job is when it's summer and the river is so, so busy with recreational boaters and we are trying so, so hard to keep them safe and they are not helping us keep them safe. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's definitely the most potentially heart wrenching part of the job is to consider like you might get in a close quarters scenario with someone who's towing a tube full of their kids behind oh a speedboat or, you know, like, someone who's just out fishing with their grandpa, you know, it's just, you know, people who, who go out a couple times a year and, and don't, don't quite understand the forces at play. So yeah, it's nice to be able to say, Hey, we're not, we're not trying to be jerks here. We're, we're blowing our horn because we're terrified for you. 
You know what I also because they're starting to to get it's starting to be a little more regulated. Like you kind of have to get a license now, I think, to own and operate a boat, or that's that's or at least they're toying with that idea. And I, I can only imagine as time goes on, it'll get more and more regulated. But uh, but I kind of am picturing now, like remember, you know, you, you do driving school, and they have the the classic like red asphalt movies. And just be like, I, I don't know what the, they'd have to have a, a catchy title, but it's like, like <laughs> something involving boats. I don't know, like broken boats, you know. And you just see like yachtsmen getting creamed by, by barges and and like you know vessels just tearing into things that they, they can't maneuver out of, and and just like yeah, watch what you're doing. Yeah. Those, one of those sort of YouTube compilations that we've all seen of like maritime disasters through the ages. <laughs> exactly. Oh boy. Well, I think one thing that would be really useful is uh, is to have a simulator where folks like like if you're a yachtsman, you know, and you want to get your 30 foot boat or whatever it is, like you have to participate in an hour long simulator that simulates. Oh, okay, this is what it's like to be on a giant cargo ship. This is what it's like to be on a tugboat and maneuver, and then have like little yachtsmen come in, like being drunk, saying stupid crap, and then you're like, ah, you know, and they're, they're trying to radio, you know, just like and just see how ridiculously slow your boat maneuvers, and you just crush them and hear screams. That'd be pretty good. I would do that. That'd be amazing. As, <laughs> as technology improves, I hope that's more and more available. That was actually the thing I really wanted when I started driving tugboats, mostly because I didn't want the the sort of inevitable humiliation of being bad at it in front of lots of other people was that I wanted, this might be showing my age, I wanted the video game, I wanted the tugboat video game. <laughs> it had the, you know, the, the six different levers that controlled, you know, the rudders and the throttles and all this, you know, it was so complex at first, or at least it seemed like it when I started. Like I just wanted to spend about 100 hours by myself locked <laughs> in a room just playing tugboat simulator. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I'll bet there's a market for that. I don't know if they got train simulators and and logging simulators and everything else. Like, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure, sure there's a market. Sure they <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. Oh man, that's that's a good a good idea. When you show up in the morning, or or for, well, back up. Is it a nine to five job? Is it what's your schedule like? Work schedule wise. Hmm, sure. So we are um, we're divided into halves uh, halves of the month. So there's a group of people that work the first half of every month and a group of people that work the second half of every month. And you go to work on, so I'm a second half person. I go to work on the 15th and I work uh, six hour shifts around the clock, six on, six off, and do that for 15 days. And then I'm off for 15 days. Okay. And then when you show up, like, are you assigned the same boat for that time period or, or is it, do, do you guys mix and match? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so we have a fleet of uh, around 10 boats. Some, you know, are often, it's often one on dry dock or we'll pull one off, you know, off of um, securement to do a special job. So we have somewhere around 10 boats and about 50 people per half of the month. So you could be working with any of those people on any of those boats. Uh, usually crews are four to six people, um, four is minimum. So two operators and two deckhands. And okay. each operator works with a deckhand on their shift. So um, while you're sleeping, you, you and your operator, if you're a deckhand, you and your operator are sleeping. The other shift operator and deckhand are running the boat. Oh, wow. So, so you are doing multi-day journeys to, to get these boats down the river. Um, so we live on board uh, for 15 days at a time. And you, you take a crew van, meet the boat wherever it's at, hop on, 
um, stay on board, make your round trips, however many you can make in wow. 15 days, and uh, then hand it over to the to the next crew. Oh, that's incredible. So it's just continual work. I didn't know that. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, for 24-7, pretty much. Don't I don't think there's a day that we shut down. We go down to a skeleton crew over Christmas, but that's about it. Wow. All right, so you guys have a 24-7 year-round operation. Mm-hmm. And, and then... Now, and you said you're usually pushing grain barges. Do you guys ever, you know, like like I know working, you know, sailing tall ships out of, um, you know, out of L.A., Long Beach Harbor, you know, Long Beach, Terminal Island, obviously tons and tons of cargo ships. And uh, also San Francisco, you, know, you constantly see the, the, the boats will be escorted by at least one or two, usually two tugs. Um, do you guys do that type of work where you're spinning, helping spin the, the big boats around and things like that? No, we uh, we used to in the past, uh, before my time, as they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we haven't since I started working there. Do um, it's ship assist work uh, is a pretty different sector, um, and it is usually different boats. It doesn't have to be. You can still do that work with with the push boats, but um, often they'll have tractor boats or something else with a little more maneuverability, um, you know, Z drives and such. So. Um, yeah, that is not our particular um, specialty. We are very much uh, grain and petroleum as well, up and down the river, as well as um, forest products, wood chips, and, and paper. Okay. So you're on a tugboat. Obviously, it's lit up to high heaven at night, right? So yes. I imagine otherwise you'd, you'd have a very good view of, of the stars, you know, and sailing down cool. the river. Yes, I mean, you, not, you do, because... You know, not to sound like a romantic out. tall ship sailor or anything, but, you know. <laughs> not, not quite as romantic. It's definitely, like, the, the eternal grind of 4,000 diesel horsepower in your ear at all times. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, the wheelhouses are about 50 feet up in the air, so once you're up there, you you definitely see the, the meteors and the stars and the, the strange uh, phenomenons happen quite a bit, especially up the Snake River where it's very dark. There's very little... Um, development up there so it can get very very lovely but very dark yeah now besides sleep what do you guys do on your off hours <laughs> well that's a good question well, um, while underway while underway i should say the the the, the saying goes something like the best things to do on a tugboat are eat and sleep um <laughs> eating is definitely right up there um we have a, a pretty generous food budget and there's a lot of pride in being able to cook well amongst the deckhands because there's no cook on board. It's just, you know, if you're a deckhand, you're you're cooking, you're cleaning, you're doing deck work, you're maintaining the equipment, you're doing all the all the jobs of a ship that's not driving. Um, so we definitely you know, get, get down with some fancy food sometimes. Um, play cribbage, of course. What else would there be to do? <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, some folks read books, some folks watch TV, the usual, the usual mm-hmm. pastimes. It's very much, uh, again, I think one of the, the harder things to adjust to was that the inside of a tugboat looks basically like the inside of a house. There are, there, there's, there's no, there's no motion of the ocean. And so you can have things just sitting out on your flat surfaces. You've got like a trash compactor and a dishwasher and, and a washer and a dryer. And it's, it's just kind of looks like, like a house. So people just kind of make themselves at home. 
Wow, I, I I'm having a hard time imagining that. That's incredible. So I think I think you might have just uh, gained a like because there are some people that get horrifically seasick and there's just not a thing on this planet to help them. So who knows? But they still love the sea. They love boats. They love all that. So maybe maybe you just recruited a, a few uh, very seasick but highly dedicated people there. Hopefully. <laughs> You, well, you have just described me. This is why I'm not a fisherman oh, or a sailor. Okay. I I was raised on boats, and yet I get seasick on slightly damp pavement. I, I can't <laughs> do it. And I tried every drug. I tried acupuncture. I tried every possible form of, of relief, and none of them quite worked for me. Um, so, and I, I love boats. I just, I just didn't want to do anything else as much as I wanted to be on boats. So yes, there, there's hope. If you are listening, there's, there's hope for us too. <laughs> we love the sea, but the sea didn't love us back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's a great way to put it. Uh, all right. So, uh, da, da, da. yeah, it's funny. <laughs> What's uh, you now you were saying there's a, there's a cultural difference between the, the old timers and I guess the new timers for lack of a better word. Uh, what, what, can you elaborate on that? I'm curious. Yeah, I would say much, much the same in any of the maritime industries. There's a push towards more, um, more standardization, more professionalism, more, um, more training, like a, a lot of more, more emphasis on, um, um, licensure and, um, it leads to people being very, um, very conscientious and a little bit straight-laced and very good at their jobs, of course. Um, and the old timers remember when things were just seat of your pants. Who knows when the equipment might break? You got you got handed the keys when you were twenty-three, and you know the boss said, "There you go, kid. Don't break too much." And you were, you know, you were moving log rafts, or you were moving, you know, whatever, all all kinds of strange things. Like, you know, your your wires were snapping left and right because they were rusty, and <laughs> and the old deckhand was screaming at you on the radio. And they're just a they're just a more sort of rough and tumble, but also. I would say they're, you can't really phase them. Mm -hmm. It's whatever, whatever you are worried about, they've already been through half a dozen times. They've probably crashed a boat at least once, mm -hmm. if not more than that. You know, they, they're just, they're bomb proof. And I love it so much. <laughs> me, me in 40 years, I'll be that way too. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's great. I dream of, of just not, not, not being flustered by anything in the way that they are. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said about about experience. I mean, definitely, yeah, de definitely. I know I, I kind of got thrown the keys a little bit, you, you know, in, in my, my first time being captain, and uh, that it made me very conscious of like, okay, when I when I train new captains, it's like this, you know, I try to give them the training I wish I had had. Uh, yes. Same is true with I mean with all, down the line deckhands as well. As as a deckhand, I knew nothing, and I was you know oftentimes not getting. Get getting you know the best training that that's possible, but uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I will I will give an absolute um, an absolute shout out to the to the old timers who trained me, the the senior captains who sort of take new new trainees under their wings. 
Um, and they really aren't paid for it, and they really do it out of the goodness of their heart for the same reason. Say, hey, I've, I've le- had to learn all of this the hard way, and you don't have to. And I am so grateful for that that handing down of, of knowledge is very, very much like sitting at the feet of of the elders of the tribe and having them tell me exactly how not to crash the boat. <laughs> <laughs> and, you you know, and that, that, that litany of like, Hey, see that rock over there? Yeah. old you know, old so-and-so he put one up on the, on the shore over there and you see that bridge pier. Yeah. That notches out of that bridge pier because <laughs> <laughs> old, old Jim ran aground there. <laughs> so when the wind's blowing from the West, don't, don't shave that. <laughs> Yeah, and those stories are so important. They really, really are. I mean, that's the the whole my whole thinking behind the podcast was was you know how how do we because I loved hearing sailor stories and I love telling sailor stories and it's just there's there's a lot of wisdom in them and uh-huh. you know in the midst of all the the funny and the crass and you know there's there's also like there's a reason those stories are told over and over and and yeah a, a lot of lessons like that don't do what I did. <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah but... and you can't it's not the same written down yep you know you can you can read the memoirs of some sailor and even no matter how amazing the story is it's like you have to have him there and he has to smell like pipe tobacco and whiskey for it to really feel <laughs> right <laughs> that's very true it's very very true well hopefully we'll have a video component to this podcast someday and you know folks can actually see us moving our hands and getting excited and <laughs> Yeah, but uh, for now, for now it will be this. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so what are what are some of the? Oh man, I mean, what are some crazy stories that either you've experienced or that you've heard, or you know anything like that? Like, do I want I want to hear like the crazy tugboat stories. <laughs> of course you do. Um, <laughs> so I'm trying to think what I. But, can... but nothing that'll get you fired. You know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> so, so usually the the. The unspoken protocol is you don't tell stories about people who are still at their jobs because you don't you don't want to you know you don't want to spill the dirt too soon. Fair and, enough. And Fair enough. That is watching some old timer retire and having all the all the guys that they've worked with for twenty years like the the week that they're gone to their well earned retirement all turn to each other and their eyes light up and they go oh my god do you remember the time that he fell <laughs> in the bank. <laughs> The like, oh yeah, we we rammed the end of that um, that lock so hard that you could have driven a Volkswagen Beetle through the hole of the bar. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, but yeah, it's there's there's many many stories. I'm trying to think of of what I'm qualified to tell because you can't you can't tell a story you weren't there for. It's not, yeah. it's not the thing, right? You can't, you can't secondhand a story. So, um, you know, and I'm a, I'm a relative newcomer. This is a, this is a career that people do for 20, 30 plus years, some 40 years. And I'm, I'm, I'm under a decade here. So, <laughs> and honestly, many, many of the, of the crazy stories of the before times, um, have been mitigated for good reason by our very, very competent, team of mechanics and electricians and, <laughs> and operators who don't take those crazy chances anymore. Cause it's just not worth it. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the one that I can tell was, was my very, very first shift as an operator, as a, as a fully qualified standing my own watch operator, my coworker um, had kindly let me take his shift in the wheelhouse to get my seniority date because we're very much a, a union and seniority based company. So James 
my uh, my coworker, sweetheart, um, he was very kind enough to give me his shift for six hours just to drive a boat up the river. Very easy shift, one one dam lockage, so one one passage up upbound up the river through a dam. And I'm driving one of our very nice new boats. Everything is going swimmingly. Um, and James goes out to the bow of the tow, which is you know some 600 feet away out in the beautiful afternoon. And uh, is talking, it's giving me directions into the dam because you want someone who can tell you, you know, the, that you're 10 feet off instead of eight and you can't see that when you're 600 feet away. Yeah. He's on the radio and I'm, you know, setting up my approach and, you know, getting all the levers synchronized, et cetera, et cetera. And suddenly a little alarm starts going off in the wheelhouse. I'm like, oh, that's weird. What's that? I'm not sure. And, James says, well, do you want me to come back and take a look? I said, no, hang on. I got, I'm, I'm sure I can find a way to turn it off. And then every alarm started going off, which is a lot of alarms. <laughs> there's so there's like 12 different possible alarms that can go off. And they all went off at once. I'm like, well, I don't know what's going on. It must be bad, but I, I don't really have time to figure out what it is. I am making an approach that I can't change. And... Oh, I don't have any steering. That's what's going on. Cool. Okay, no steering, but I still have throttles. Yeah. I have two throttles because we have two engines. So, if I if I do anything but what I'm doing, we're going to go on the rocks because this is a narrow channel, and I don't want to stop. So I just keep power on. I'm like, well, I'll I'll get in to the big concrete basin where the the lock chamber kind of starts. Mm-hmm. I'll get in there as I'm. You know, this is like a couple seconds worth of thinking, and then if I crash, at least I'm not on the rocks. At least I've crashed like somewhere that's flat. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like ignoring everything else in the world. I told James to stay where he was because I needed to know how fast I was going to crash. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I was just prepared. Like I was like holding each of the throttles in my hand, just ready to like one in reverse, one in forward to try and, or, you know, whatever I could to try and spin my, my toe if I had to just with the throttles and not with the rudders. Yeah. Um, and then about no, I would say no more than three minutes goes by. I'm not even yet into the concrete basin. Um, when suddenly everything comes back, the alarms stop, my steering is returned. I'm like, well, okay. So I just, you know, made, made my landing and then the phone rang and it was the deckhand, old time deckhand on the phone, just, just panting. And he goes, I got it. I got it. I said, what, what, what did you get? And he goes, oh, well, I was up. Um, I had to go to the head in the middle of his off watch. He, he'd been asleep. And I, I had to go to the head and I, and I go in there and he's in, a, you know, in his skivvies in the dark. And he says, I went to try and turn on my, my, the light in the bathroom and it, it wouldn't go on. So I knew what had happened. I knew that the generator had died. The generator powered the steering. So I sprinted down to the engine room in my underwear and I switched the generators over to the backup generator. <laughs> power back again. I was like, wow, that was so thoughtful of you. <laughs> and he, I mean, that, that, those three minutes of him knowing exactly what to do probably saved, you know, my, my skin as a brand new operator probably a, a lot of a lot of steel and and a lot of a lot of product that day so <laughs> wow yeah and and I'm really hoping that that is I hope really hope it's downhill from there for me I hope that was the big excitement in my career <laughs> and it can just be boring for the next 20 years or so 
Well, but hey, I mean, you, it sounds like you handled it well. I'm sure, I, I mean, I've been in similar situations. I know, I know what that feels like. Uh, it's, it's insanely stressful. Right. Uh, it, it, I mean, yeah, it's such a, such a, I don't know. Yeah. The, especially the first time. I don't know how your body reacts, but, you know, because every, <laughs> I mean, everybody, every, well, you know, bad things happen sometimes. I'm done. Hopefully the generator will never die, but you, you never know. Uh, but yeah. Will, you know, everyone knows it will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, given, given enough time. But, but I, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, you know, everybody kind of reacts differently to that to stress. And I know for me personally, like, oh, my gosh, the first time on, you know, as captain on a boat when, like, I've never done – when something happens where it's like, okay, I literally – like, this has never happened before. Um, usually – you know, again, that's why I try to train people where it's like, okay, what, what happens if, if X occurs, what are you going to do? You know, so you at least have a plan, right? Yeah. But, but the, but if you, you know, if you didn't get the training, like, and you're like, okay, now you got to improvise. And I've, I've noticed that, man, like my, you know, afterwards, like I'm literally shaking a, a little bit from the, the adrenaline, you know? Right. And, and then the second time, like, yeah, no big deal. Interesting. So it's just... You, you hold it together in the moment because there's nothing else to do. And then you can lose it afterwards when the pressure is off. Yeah. Well, well, but no, it's not just after it's like the second time I don't, I don't, and, and everybody's different, right? Like the second time, like, I don't know. It's just, it's just how my body reacts, I guess, where I just, I will not get flustered at all. The, uh, but you, you know, if it's a similar situation but, <laughs> I salute you and I, I'm, curious maybe this will be a conversation for another time how how many times these things have happened to you that you are now this calm about them <laughs> well no i mean well when, when you don't you know when you basically get a hand of the keys and i mean I, I was not given a ton of training uh though i was lucky enough to have been a deckhand long enough where i could see you know where things would go wrong and, and different scenarios and all that mm-hmm. but but like I mean, the, the example I, I always give, you know, my very first time going out as captain and I had to make a hairpin left-hand turn on a boat that wants to walk to port. Oh, gosh. And, and I realized too quickly that, oh, oh, crap, we're, we're actually not going to make this turn at current speed and turning rate. Like, I could just tell, like, we're going to hit something, you know, we're going to hit the, the breakwater. And, uh, and I, and my concern was that if I gunned it in reverse, that the boat would basically the boat would just stop. And then at that point it's like, Oh crap, what am I going to do then? You know, now I'm stuck and, you know, and I didn't have time to slow down to do like a, you know, 270 degree turn. But ultimately what happened was I, I did put the engine in reverse and we had enough forward momentum on that the turn kept happening, but the boat slowed down and we, we made the turn just fine. So, yeah. you know, so every captain ever trained on that particular vessel, I'm like, okay, well this, I tell that story. This is what happened. And then we go out and we practice it so they can get a feel, you know, so that they, so that they know, yeah, like under, you know, under two knots. Yeah. You, you gotta be thinking about that, uh, uh, prop walk. But if you're, you know, if you're in a channel only going three, you know, if you're going three or four knots, you're, you're fine for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's just, just stuff like that where, but that first time, Oh man, you know, I was like, uh, that was really scary and really stressful. And all of a sudden I understood this is why captains, you know, this is why they drink so much. This is why they're always stressed out. And, and, but luckily for me that it doesn't compound, it doesn't ever happen again. So, so, so next time that happened, it's like, eh, whatever, you know, it's fine. So, but but here's a question. How do you handle stress? Because there is a level of stress being being an operator, being a captain, being in charge of, of such a large object and, and multiple people. 
Um, what what do you do? <laughs> As in, do I do I drink and carouse when I'm off the bus? No, no, no. I, I didn't mean to suggest that, but you, you know what I mean. Like like I don't. Maybe you meditate. Maybe you punch things. Maybe I, I, who knows? <laughs> For long healthful walks. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a that's a very good question. It's and it's definitely I feel like it's not particularly a talked about topic. And you know, we, I, I don't know if if folks in your in your area of the maritime world joke about this, but the sort of joke of like, oh, you know, we could you could work a desk job, but that kills you just as fast. You know? <laughs> All that sitting around can't be good for you. <laughs> um, but I think the thing we we could share with people who have stressful desk jobs is that stress will kill you regardless of what you're doing with your body. Mm. Um, and that it is in a lot of ways more harmful to your, your entire bodily system, um, than even brute physical labor can be to your joints and the people that do make it, um, have ways of coping and they're often very different. I mean, I <laughs> personally, I have a, a hobby, a shoreside hobby of woodworking, which sounds like it would be restful, but really just involves me cussing and hitting things with hammers a lot. But for some reason <laughs> that is very um, stress relieving and I enjoy it. So <laughs> that, that's, that's my technique. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. No, that's much better than drinking yourself stupid every night. I mean, you know, could do both, but you don't want to combine power saws and, and whiskey. It's a bad combo. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be that'd be really bad. Wow. Uh, don't want to go there. As a, as a friend of mine said when I first started working on boats, this is great. I'm so happy for you. You, you should have one goal, and that is to not get a nickname that involves an odd number of body parts. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, yeah. So you know, on tugboats, you haven't been seasick on tugboats. No, happily never. It's been it's been years, and gosh, that feels good. <laughs> the nature in the river. I mean, there's. I heard a rumor that there were otters back on the west coast of Oregon, but have they come up the river at all? Do you see them towards the mouth of the river? Oh yeah, yes, definitely. Really? Well, not um, so not um, sea otters. There's definitely land otters oh, okay. around. Um, yeah, haven't haven't seen sea otters, but we don't go that we don't go down that far, honestly. Um, we go as far as Astoria rarely, but uh, we don't really go down past that. All right. Well, Megan, so what would you say for for somebody hopping on tugboats for the first time, uh, or considering that that line of work? Do you have any recommendations for a per, for a first timer? Like, what's what what's the attitude they should take? What's the what are some things that like? Oh man, I wish I had known this. When I first showed up. Sure. Uh, good question. I would say, I would say boat work is boat work in a lot of ways in that blue collar work is, you know, you want to have, uh, you want to have, you want to have drive. You want to be, um, self-motivated. Um, you want to be impeccably honest with your teammates and your crewmates. Like if you screw something up, you admit it you move on, you know, you don't hide things, um, and you, you own your mistakes. And also the idea that in particular towboat work is very, very different than other maritime work. And if you come there, I'm sure it's true for, for tall ships and it's true for fishing. If you come to one maritime subgroup from another, 
assume you know nothing until proven otherwise. Assume that they're going to tie their knots differently. They're going to rig their winches differently. There's going to be different terminology. It's all very specialized. And uh, I think people sometimes come in from other areas and think like, oh, this is going to be great. I already know all this stuff. I've got, I've got this. And, uh, and the blow to the ego is hard <laughs> when you realize you got to start from zero like everybody else. Like, like you know, someone could come in from, from being a logger and do better than uh, an ex-mariner in some ways. So it's not, a, it's not a job you can prepare for. You just have to be okay with being brand new at it and sucking just as much as the next guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So that, that sense of humility is very important. <laughs> that's right. Wow. Yeah, I know. I went, um, so I've been on tall ships pretty, pretty much my whole career. And, um, and then I did whale watching this last summer. So I was a whale watch boat captain. Right. But in the process of getting trained, I, I was I was really struggling with the, with just handling this boat when, when getting on off the dock and you know like I, I was like what is going on like I was really I was, I was getting a little bit upset at myself because usually usually it's like within a few hours you know a couple tries I'm like okay I got it like bam this okay I understand you know all the stuff and yeah the boat had two engine you know two engines where you know I had less experience with two engines and yes each engine was three times the horsepower of a, a single, you know, the last boat I'd been on, you know. Um, oh, but that should make it easier, right? But, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, right. Um, and, and, you know, it, it they had to walk, you, it could walk, you know, with the yeah. configuration of the engine and stuff, you can make it walk sideways. So I had to learn that trick, which, you know, but, but despite all that, it was like, man, like I should still be getting this. And then something finally clicked when I realized, okay, this is it. I figured out why I was getting super duper stressed out and just not not getting it quickly. And it was that for 15 years, I had had the boat in front of me. And now with the whale watching boat, the boat was behind me. Oh, how strange. Yes, that <laughs> and, makes total sense. <laughs> and I just was having trouble. My, my subconscious mind, like, I mean, consciously, I obviously knew that, you know, like on some, but on some, some, some subconscious level, my bot, like I just was not accepting it. And so finally, once I just sat down, like accept it, like the boat's behind you, deal with it, buddy. It's like, then, then all of a sudden it, it got a lot better, but it's like, geez, <laughs> yeah, it was, I was very surprised, but it was good. It was good. Like, I mean, I, I was humbled and it was good to be humbled. It really was. Yeah. That's uh I mean, it's it's not it's not hard to find opportunities to be humble when you're a brand new operator, which I still very much am. Um, and the 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 best practice is to put yourself on the oldest and crunchiest boats you can find. You know, put yourself <laughs> on the the one weird boat in the fleet that has three engines, or the one where the props turn the opposite way, or the one that has a uh, 12 second shifting delay, or you know whatever it is that is just gonna <laughs> make you hit things and embarrass yourself and <laughs> and just be a mess for a couple of days until you can force your brain to adapt. And the more you can do that early, the less you're going to solidify into, okay, I move the throttle exactly this far or the tiller exactly this far and I know what it will do. You say, oh no, I don't. I move it this far and then I look out the window and I notice what is actually happening and I adjust mm -hmm. from there. Uh, well, Megan, I'm, I'm sure that uh, that tough Alaskan in you gets you gets you through it all. So, <laughs> not worried about that. So, so do you see yourself at this job for or, or at this in, in this particular part of the world for for a long time, or do you have any plans of you know trying things elsewhere or other 
other professions or, or even other areas on tugboats? Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy this job a lot. It's it's a really good combo of shockingly regular work, which is hard to find in the maritime world. Mm -hmm. um, it's It lends itself to a long career in one place, and uh, it's, yeah, it's definitely challenging enough, and I really enjoy my coworkers. So um, I have thought about other things, but the, the combination of, you know, wanting a steady paycheck and also getting terribly seasick is, uh, it, it limits the opportunities. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if I about where else could I find perfectly flat water? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it's here or the Mississippi or, you know, maybe the, the, the canals of Venice, <laughs> but I don't think that's really <laughs> a grand opportunity for me. So. So for now, I'm I'm very happy to be where I'm at. So we'll we'll see what the future holds. Um, there's there there is some interesting talk about uh, decommissioning some of the dams on the rivers um, for fish escapement and the salmon, the health of the salmon populations. So we'll see we'll see where that goes and uh, might might put me out of a job. I'm not sure. Oh my god! But how would the grain get shipped? I mean, it's uh, stuff by, all. By by train and truck, unfortunately, which is a lot less efficient and yeah. um, not not so great for the environment. So it's a it's an interesting um, balance of like great more salmon, which as an ex fisherman I approve of salmon are great, um, but also the increase of of uh, you know lots of lots more trucks on the road, more trains burning coal and and other things. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah, boy, it's it's something a lot of people don't don't think about too much is that. Yeah, a lot of these, a lot of these problems are really complex. Unfortunately, it really is. Yeah, it's, I, wish, I wish there were easy answers. Yeah. Um, gosh, well, I, I hope you don't. I, I, I hope. Oh, sorry. I hope you're not out of a job ever. I mean, that's. <laughs> it's it's far in the future if it happens, so we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Oh, and that and the dams. Obviously, they're not just sitting there. They're I'm sure they're making hydroelectric electric uh, power, right? Right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you're losing out on clean energy there. Boy. Right. Well, all right. Any, any, any folks listening to this, if you're a hard, you know, hardcore environmentalist, just do keep in mind your, your solution might be worse than the, wait, what's it called? The, At least I would be curious to the see problem. the breakdown of all the, of all the, the, the factors, you know, not just like free the, free the rivers, which is, you know, a very, very compelling cry, but. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How it all, how it all interplays together. I would, I would love to see a, a breakdown of all of the, the costs and the benefits. It, yeah, well, and, and the problem, unfortunately, like what, what I've been noticing, especially recently, just um, I, I, yeah, it just seems like folks get so caught up almost religiously, like they, they get an idea in their head and then it's it's like that that idea becomes the, the um, they just I don't they can't think of anything else. And, and I, I hate to be so cryptic because this this podcast isn't really about politics or anything, but but like um Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know how to give an example that's not going to get piss everybody off, but 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 it does. It seems like people just get religious with their ideas and then they they won't change them. Even even when faced with like hey, this is more complicated than you thought and it's still like, well, yeah, but I I think this is still the solution. It's like, well, hold on. <laughs> like there are like a lot of other things going on here. Um so interesting. Yeah, yeah. Something something in the maritime world is that most most mariners have to be pragmatists, right? We can't we can't really be idealists because this, the conditions don't allow us to be. If there is a solution, it doesn't matter if it 
contradicts what we thought was going to work or what we thought was going to happen. It's if that's what works, you know, you're not going to say, Oh no, let's not do that. I don't believe in that. (laughs) Thank God someone thought of something. (laughs) Yeah, no, there's a lot of truth to that. Wow. That's so true. Oh, I love it. Well, Megan, is there anything else you'd like to share? Gosh, I can't think of much. I mean, this is, we, we're Mariners. We could obviously keep, you know, BSing for a long time, but this is, this has been a lovely exchange. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, no, it's, it, it has, it has. I hope to meet you in person someday. I really do. It's, uh, I'll, I'll definitely, uh, if we're ever in the same area, we should hang out and that'd be, that'd be fun. Get that sounds lovely. I'd like that. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you folks. Thanks for, for listening to this episode and, yeah, hope uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, big shout out, thank you, Megan Emerson. Stay safe out there on the tugboats. Uh, it's hard, dangerous work, but you don't get seasick on the river. So <laughs> there you go. That's that's for many people. That's good enough. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, thanks, folks. Uh, you know how to support us. Uh, it's in the show notes there. And uh, yeah, hope everybody stays safe out there. Have fun. That's all I got. Wishing you fair winds and a following scene.